The year is 1900. You, a budding young physician by the name of Carl Fiedler, are about to conduct an autopsy on one of your patients. You stand over the body of a previously healthy young male who suddenly developed shortness of breath and dropsy, now known as peripheral edema, and died within one week. When you examine the heart under the microscope, you are surprised to see the interstitium totally obliterated by cells. The coronaries, valves, and pericardium appear to be completely spared. You name this disease acute interstitial myocarditis and suspect an invisible pathogen as the cause. It would be another 20 years or so until the medical world understood these pathogens to be viruses. Multiple other causes of myocarditis have since been identified, but this disease remains a relatively understudied phenomenon that is difficult to diagnose. Today, our patient has myocarditis, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled Matters of the Heart, an Approach to Myocarditis. Time for our minute physiology. Myocarditis comes from the Greek words myos, meaning muscle, and cardia, meaning heart combined with the Latin suffix itis for inflammation. Together, this means inflammation of the heart muscle or myocardium. The myocardium is the anatomical layer of the heart between the pericardium and endocardium. Myocyte contractility is reliant on ATP, as well as proteins such as troponin and tropomyosin to help regulate contraction. Cardiac myocytes can become damaged due to a variety of reasons, such as exposure to a pathogen, certain medications or toxins, an autoimmune condition, and many others. The initial insult, which in North America is most commonly a virus, causes myocyte necrosis. These damaged cells release cardiac enzymes such as troponin and creatine kinase, as well as cellular antigens that trigger an inflammatory response involving T-lymphocyte and cytokine activation. On microscopy, myocardial necrosis may be seen as well as infiltration of the interstitial space with inflammatory cells. Depending on the cause of the myocarditis, the damage typically resolves. However, in some cases, damage persists, leading to more long-term cardiac remodeling and subsequent development of a dilated cardiomyopathy. The list of etiologies causing myocarditis is vast, as numerous exposures or stressors can lead to inflammation of the myocardium. One of the most common causes of myocarditis is infection, typically viral, but also bacterial, protozoan, or tick-borne infections such as Chagas or Lyme disease. Viral myocarditis shows lymphocytic inflammation of interstitium on microscopy, while bacteria lead to a predominantly neutrophilic pattern. Non-infectious causes include exposure to amphetamines, cyclophosphamide, and heavy and trace metals. Hypersensitivity reactions can occur due to antibiotics, benzodiazepines, insect bites, and some vaccines can cause myocarditis through a predominantly eosinophil-mediated process. Systemic and autoimmune disorders causing myocarditis include celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease, thyrotoxicosis, sarcoidosis, Kawasaki disease, and giant cell myocarditis, or GCM. GCM is an autoimmune disease causing severe heart dysfunction through T-cell-mediated destruction of the myocardium. Biopsy reveals the so-called giant cells, which are complexes of fused-together macrophages. The downstream clinical consequences of these many processes are dependent on the degree of damage as well as the particular types of cells or cardiac structures that are damaged. 
These can vary from acute coronary syndrome-like presentations to fulminant cardiogenic shock to acutely fatal arrhythmias. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Myocarditis should be suspected in anyone presenting with new or rapidly deteriorating heart failure or cardiomyopathy, particularly within the last of three months. Given the wide array of potential patient presentations, the differential diagnosis is very broad and may include ischemic heart disease, pericarditis, and other causes of cardiomyopathy. Always start by assessing the stability of the patient. Are they protecting their airway or requiring significant respiratory support? Are they showing signs of poor perfusion or cardiogenic shock? Do they have a life-threatening arrhythmia or heart block? If necessary, make sure the patient is in a monitored setting and being stabilized before proceeding further with your management. Next, go through a thorough cardiac review of symptoms on history. Examine the patient for signs of cardiac dysfunction, including abnormal heart sounds or rhythm, murmurs, and signs of volume overload, including elevated JVP, peripheral edema, and S3 or fine respiratory crackles. Tailor your subsequent assessment establishing the etiology of the myocarditis. Patients presenting with fever, rashes, or a recent infectious prodrome may lead you to suspect an infectious etiology. Viral myocarditis is by far the most common cause of myocarditis in Canada, typically occurring in males aged 20 to 40, and is usually self-limiting. In patients from South America, consider Chagas-induced myocarditis high on your differential diagnosis. Carefully review the patient's past medical history for any history of autoimmunity or allergies and review their medication profile to identify any potential triggers, including recent vaccination. Take a thorough social history, including potential occupation-related exposures or substance use. Physical examination should also include a careful head-to-toe assessment for rashes, joint pains, and abdominal exam, looking for signs of underlying systemic conditions or potential exposures. Time to talk about the workup. Elevated troponin and CK are commonly found in myocarditis. Serum troponin is elevated in one-third to one-half of patients and is more commonly elevated than CK. If your patient has an elevated troponin in the absence of any discernible cause for myocardial ischemia, your suspicion for myocarditis should increase. BNP elevation is suggestive of heart failure. An elevated CRP, ESR, or white blood count could be suggestive of an underlying infectious or inflammatory process. Blood cultures, HIV and Lyme testing, or other infectious serologies may be sent based on the patient's presentation. A tox screen or serum levels of heavy metals could point to an exposure as the underlying cause. A blood gas and lactate may help you monitor for end-organ perfusion. Other laboratory tests may be sent depending on suspected etiologies and to clarify the diagnosis. An ECG should always be obtained. Most cases of myocarditis present with nonspecific ST segment changes. Some patients may even present with territorial ST depressions or elevations or Q waves, in which case acute coronary syndrome cannot be ruled out and cardiac catheterization should be considered. ECG can also reveal concomitant pericarditis. Arrhythmias or other conduction abnormalities may also be seen. High-grade heart blocks are more commonly seen in cases of GCM or Lyme carditis. GCM is also often associated with ventricular tachyarrhythmias. What is most essential to diagnosing myocarditis is imaging. Echocardiography may reveal dilated cardiomyopathy and decreased ventricular function, which in the absence of another obvious cause is concerning for myocarditis. Severely reduced EF also pretends a poorer prognosis. MRI can often further characterize the myocardium to help establish the etiology of cardiac dysfunction. 
the Lake Louise criteria exist to guide the cardiac MR-based diagnosis of myocarditis. MRI is approximately 90% sensitive and specific for identifying myocarditis. The gold standard for diagnosis of myocarditis is endomyocardial biopsy, or EMB. The World Health Organization and International Society and Federation of Cardiology have defined the histopathological diagnostic criteria for myocarditis, which are adapted from the previously used Dallas criteria. These are based on the presence of inflammatory cells, necrosis, fibrosis, distribution of damage, and other factors. Although EMB is the gold standard, this is not always feasible or readily available and is not commonly performed. However, the American and European cardiological societies strongly recommend that EMB be pursued in the following cases. Nuance at heart failure of two weeks to three months duration associated with decreased EF, ventricular arrhythmias, high-grade heart block, or failure to respond to therapy within one to two weeks, or any nuance at heart failure of less than two weeks duration. Of note, GCM typically presents as fulminant cardiogenic shock and can only be diagnosed on EMB, so suspicion should remain high and threshold to biopsy should be low in severe cases refractory to standard treatment. Now let's move on to treatment. The goals of treatment in myocarditis are twofold, to treat the cardiac dysfunction supportively while treating the underlying cause of myocarditis. Standard principles of heart failure management should be applied. Careful and serial volume status assessments are required to diurese appropriately and target euvolemia. Cardiogenic shock may require the use of inotropes or other forms of advanced mechanical circulatory support. Goal-directed management therapy should be initiated in patients on the basis of their ejection fraction and may be discontinued later on depending on the duration and degree of resolution of the myocarditis. Patients with viral myocarditis often make a full recovery within a matter of weeks, while other causes may cause longer-lasting and less reversible damage. Patients should also be encouraged to avoid strenuous exercise, alcohol consumption, and NSAID use. Immunosuppressive therapy is not routinely used in myocarditis except for GCM. With GCM, patients are routinely treated with steroids and other immunosuppressants such as cyclophosphamide. Many patients with GCM also require heart transplant due to severity of myocardial damage. Lyme carditis is another cause of myocarditis with increasing prevalence in Canada due to climate change and associated northward migration of black-legged ticks. The most common presentation of Lyme carditis is a high-grade AV block, which should be treated with ceftriaxone, 2 grams IV every 24 hours, until the block is at most a first degree. They can then be switched to oral doxycycline. These patients also often require temporary permanent pacemaker devices until their conduction disease resolves. Let's finish with our medicine minute. There have been many concerns about myocarditis after mRNA vaccination for COVID-19. How do we counsel patients about these risks and weigh them against the benefits? A study from Israel in 2021 found that the highest incidence was in males between the ages of 16 and 29 at 2.13 per 100,000, with 76% of cases categorized as mild and most occurring two to three days after the second vaccine dose. Only five out of the total of over 16 million patients studied had any lasting heart dysfunction that did not appear to improve after discharge. Further, an analysis published in the American Heart Association Journal in August of 2022 revealed that the risk of myocarditis associated with COVID-19 infection is significantly higher than the risk of vaccine-associated myocarditis. Although the risk increases with booster doses, it remains much lower than the risk associated with COVID infection. 
Therefore, having the COVID vaccine and boosters are far safer than having a COVID infection in regards to myocarditis. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Matters of the Heart, an Approach to Myocarditis. This episode was written by Dr. Dhruv Krishnan, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Samir Hazra, cardiologist, and Dr. Stephen Montague, general internist. This episode was recorded by Leah Karianopoulos and produced by Margaret Sun. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and is executively managed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshman Santhamoan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.